Across the Desk with Clement Maniatella on 702. On Across the Desk this morning, I am hosting um, recovering addicts, uh, people who have recovered and conquered their uh, addiction, the, the drug addiction. So I said to you earlier that over the last couple of weeks, in fact, about from December, when we have been doing our Family Matters feature, our Healing Hour feature, I received some calls from people who've been struggling with drug addiction. Um, and they were asking for help, and we did help where we could. Or we linked them, some of them, with institutions that can assist. But I thought we should bring in people who have managed to start their recovery journey from from drug addiction, so they can share their story with us, and that can help those that are struggling as well. And maybe you are the one struggling, or maybe you know a loved one who is struggling with addiction. But I also think it's important to humanize recovering addicts, right, and to hear their story because developing an addiction isn't a character flaw or a sign of weakness. Um, But we're always quick to judge people who have or are addicted. And often we have no interest to even want to hear what their story is, right? And those stories are layered. Those stories are complex. And I want us to hear them today and how their recovery journey um, is, is, is going. Experts will tell you that your recovery doesn't end at getting sober because your brain still needs time to recover. It still needs time to rebuild connections that changed while you were addicted. So I want us to chat um, to, to these guests that I have in studio this morning about how they've conquered that drug addiction and shed some light on this journey and how it has panned out for them. And if you are struggling yourself or you know someone who is struggling and maybe you've got some question or you want to share an experience with us on how uh, you have recovered from addiction. You can give us a call on 011-883-0702 or send a WhatsApp on 072-702-1702. My guest in studio, we've got Unjabulo Mkwanazi, who is a recovering addict, also founder of uh, Itemba Recovery Foundation. Jabulo, thank you so much for making time. Good morning. Morning, Clement. Morning and morning to the listeners. We also have Tsepo Siopa, who also is a recovering addict. Tsepo, thank you for making time, man. Good morning. Good morning. Morning to the listeners as well. And we are joined by Didi at Jones as well. Didi, how are you doing? Fine, and you? Fine. Thank you so much, guys, um, for, for making time for us. So I have met Jabulo before uh, when we did our campaign with SPA, uh, the SPA Truck of Love. Yes. Um, we, we came to your foundation, and I was the presenter that came to the foundation with the SPA Truck of Love to deliver groceries for you guys because you run an incredible foundation and you'll tell us more about it later and i met some guys that you're helping on this journey of recovery let's start with you and what your personal story is how long have you been sober for and how did you get into drugs and you got addicted okay uh firstly as you said my name is njabulo but uh where i come from i normally say Ah. And I'm a recovering addict. I used for eight years. Eight years, I was addicted to cocaine, crystal meth, alcohol. Mm. And it wasn't nice. Mm. But all of us here, I think we share the same sentiment because one way or another, for people who don't know drugs and who don't understand addiction, drugs are nice. We fell in love with drugs because they are so nice that they take you out of this world and put you into your own delusional world. Mm. So my addiction started way back in school. 
uh, I, I, I grew up well. I was a soccer player. I was in RCL. Uh, I was doing good things. But there were people who used to smoke weed. And I never loved weed. I never saw myself being associated with weed. And TV played a psychological impact in my life. Mm. Where I would see certain shows and people sniffing lines. And I would be interested. Mm. What does that one do? Until a friend of mine whose uncle was a dealer. My friend saw his uncle stashing some, some stuff. Mm. And he stole. That's how we got mm. our first high. Mm. And that was from that day yeah. until eight years later. And so was it cocaine? It was alcohol? And it was crystal meth. Or crystal meth. Crystal meth. So it wasn't really weed. I, I, I never took weed. Uh, I, I never. I, mm. I was, yeah, I, I disliked weed. Mm-hmm. But the high that I got from cocaine, the high mm. that I got from cat, yeah. the high that I got from crystal meth, it's something that took me to my place. Yeah. Because everyone is trying to find an escape. Mm-hmm. So whatever drug of choice that a person chooses, it's their escape. Mm. How long have you been sober now? Now, uh, just last month, on the 23rd, mm-hmm. I was turning seven years sober. Seven years sober. That's amazing. What about you, Tsepo? Where did it begin for you? Um, well, for me, um, it started, I started being unmanageable at a very young age. Mm. Started hanging out with the wrong crowd and making bad friends. Started simply with cigarettes as a, as a, as a teenager would. And with the drinking as well. I um, started drinking heavily, heavily at a young age. Started drinking unmanageably. Started not sleeping home. Started sleeping cool because... Not sleeping at home because of the alcohol. Then it escalated. One night we were busy drinking with friends and one of them had a sachet in his pocket. Mm. Then he called me to the side and said, Yo, man, I have this thing and if you hit on this one, you'll be sober now. now. Mm. And because you'll of, be sober? Yes. So <laughs> he told me that that thing's going to take out the alcohol in my system. And yeah. Only being aware now of this um, addictive behavior, mm. I think that's the reason why also I wanted to outdrink everyone. So I, I tasted that thing and it was cat. We call it cat. I tasted it. I loved the sensation. I threw up. It didn't sit well with my system. But the next day when I woke up, man, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Just wanted to find the guy and get more of the thing. Mm. Yeah. Is how do you take? Is cat like drugs? Is like um, it's an upper powder? drug. It's powder, oh, just it's like powder. cocaine. But yeah. I would say it's cheap cocaine. Oh, so it's like cheap cocaine. Yeah. So you sniff yeah. it. And and you've been sober for how long now? I've been sober for three years and one month now. Amazing. Yeah. Didi, and what's your story? Good morning. Um, I'm Didi and I'm an addict. Um, on the 14th of February, I will be four years clean and sober. Mm-hmm. My journey started, um, well, my, my drug addiction started about 12, 13 years ago. Um, after I had my last baby, it just spiraled out of control. Um, it took everything from me. My drug of choice was crystal meth, mm. um, a little bit of cat here and there. Um, I'm not really a weed smoker. Well, I wasn't a weed smoker, but crystal meth was the main drug. And um, my life became unmanageable. I was unmanageable. I lost everything that I worked for. My marriage was on the rocks. Um, I've got three kids. My kids didn't want to have anything to do with me. Mm. Um, I lost my house, I lost my car, I lost my job. Um, I decided to give recovery a chance. Mm. 
um, almost four years ago. Um, I am currently the caretaker of Breaking the Chains, which is a female rehabilitation center. Um, and that's where I sobered up. You know, when mm-hmm. my family booked me in four years ago, I said I was only going to go for a month because I was in denial. The denial was really heavy. And I felt like I didn't have a problem, but little did I know that um, drugs wasn't my problem. Mm. I was the problem. Because when I looked at it, when I started doing my step work, I was the one going to the drugs, not the drugs coming to me. True. So so I was a major problem. And I decided to give this a chance, you know. Mm. And my journey started on the 14th of February 2020 at Breaking the Chains. That's where I got a chance to 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 take my life back to take the reins of my life back mm. and to give this road of recovery a chance. Yeah. And so far it's been an amazing journey. I'm not going to lie. Um, I will not give up my worst day in recovery for my best day in active mm. because what this program and breaking the chains has given me, nobody can give it to me. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. So at, at what point then Jabula did you decide I can't do this anymore. It's not serving me. It's destroying me. What happened? What was the turning point for you? So I lost everything. Uh, there was a time I was working. Uh, I used to work at City of Johannesburg. Mm. And I lost my job. After losing my job, because I had a lot of friends. You know, sometimes the, the lifestyle which we associate ourselves with come with a lot of people mm. in, the, in the circle. But after losing my job and also being disconnected to my family, I woke up in a shack wearing flip-flops that were not the same. And I didn't even know whose shack it was. Are you kidding me? I'm serious. What time was it? It was just around about 10 o'clock, 11 in the morning. You're waking up. I'm you waking don't know up. how you got here. I don't know what happened even last night. And you're wearing flip-flops that are not the same. They are not the same. And prior to that, there was a time where there was a soccer derby that was going to play. And I passed out. I passed out on a Friday and I woke up on a Sunday. What? And no one knew what was happening. They thought I was Mm. sleeping. Mm. But it was part of the fatigue of not sleeping for a number of days and all Mm. of that. And that was so scary because just going to your question... I remember the last time, my turning point was, I took my dad to a funeral. I was driving him. And I had to sit in the car and wait for him. He attended his after tears and all of that. But one of his friends made a mistake and came to me in the car and gave me a box of wine. And that box just opened the, the, a lot of cans. Because after I drank from that box, I drove the car. I left my dad at the funeral. I don't know how we went back home. The following day, I I ended up in a, at someone someone else's house. I was high. When I came back home, I sold my mom's laptop and the car. Mm. You needed money to. I needed buy. money to get to get another fix. Mm. But where I was emotionally and mentally, I was doing this, but I wasn't there anymore. I was tired because there were times I would smoke and start crying. And whatever I used to get from the drug, I wasn't getting anymore. I would get high and still sleep. I would get high and eat. I would get high and be emotional. So I was depressed. Mm. And my dad, when I I took back the car at home, he told me that I'm going to give you a chance to continue living your life. But when you're ready for change, 
he gave me a piece of paper with a phone number. Uh, when you're ready to change your life, just call this person. And he left me at the streets and went back home mm-hmm. after we got the laptop from where I sold it. Mm. And yeah. That so, was a defining moment. Who, who was the person on the cell number? Who was? Uh, it was Baraka, Baraka Sishi. Who's that? Uh, a guy who brought me into recovery. Oh. So, sure. yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Ah, wow, what a story. Tapo, for you, what was that defining moment? Um, for me, it was when I, 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 I had an overdose. Um, and before that, I was on a run, I remember. Mm. My family was looking for me. I ran away with my auntie's money. So I switched my phone off for, 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 for two weeks. Did you steal so. the money? or? Yeah, I just tricked them into giving money for something that didn't yeah. even exist. Um, so they were looking for me, sleeping in friends' houses and, and living on the streets. So this one night I was at home. My mom went to work and I, I was able to, to, to sneak in the house so that I could change clothes. When I got into, into the house, I used as usual. But now I, feel, I felt like I was about to, to collapse as well. And I just sat down. And while I was sitting down, I, I had a nosebleed. Mm-hmm. Then I was having a very intense headache. So what I did in that moment, I started crying as well because I felt that, you know what, this is the end of the road for me with this thing. So something at the back of my mind was telling me suicide, but I kept on telling myself that no, because I've always knew who God is in terms of, of growing up. I grew up from a Christian family, mm-hmm. kept on praying and saying to him that, you know, this is, this is, this is not how my life is going to end. And picked up my phone, I switched it on, and I got all the notification, missed calls and messages mm. from my family members. I, I, I sent an, a Facebook inbox to my uncle, KG, and I confessed my addiction to him, and I told him that I need help like immediately because mm. I'm, I'm about to die now. The drug is killing me. So when he gave me a call, I was able to open up to him. Then he then took it upon the whole family. I think he, he called his mom, which is my grandmother. Then she was able to call me now and ask me if I needed help. Mm. And I told her that I need help. I have a drug addiction. I've been hiding it for a long time. But before that, I had dropped out of, of varsity. I was attending at Swanee University Technology. I was doing legal assistance. Mm. So when we had our strike on the second year, I didn't go back to re-register. So I had dropped out, I had dropped out of school, the frustration, the resentment towards myself, the anger and... Yeah, so it was that point on where I decided that I needed I needed help and mm. I needed to change my life. Yeah. Did you mention that you you ha- you were married, you I'm had married. kids, you yes. you're married, yes. you had kids and how did that affect your marriage and and the kids and at at what point did you decide I don't want to lose this and these people in my life? So <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. So, my husband's a, a drug addict as well. He's going mm-hmm. to be 10 years clean and sober this year. Um, my marriage uh, started falling apart when my husband decided to get clean and sober. That was almost 10 years ago. Um, I hit my rock bottom when my 8-year-old son said to me, he's the baby. Um, we were driving in the car. We were taking um, some goodies to my brother-in-law who was currently also in rehab mm. and my eight-year-old son turned around in the car and he said to me mommy i think you need to go to rehab to fix your life eight years old eight years old and that broke me mm. and um i hit my rock bottom the sunday when 
um, people from Breaking the Chains was sent to 12-step me again. Um, my 16-year-old daughter said to me, um, she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And she's my only daughter. It broke my heart. I've got these two kids that is telling me that I have a problem and I don't see that I have a problem. And I hit my rock bottom um, to a point where I also felt like I didn't want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. And I decided that it's either I'm going to get clean or I'm going to lose my kids, which means the world to me. And then my marriage, um, my husband got to a point where he said, it's either you go to rehab or we get a divorce. Mm. So I, 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 I had to make that choice. But um, when I got to the rooms, when I surrendered completely, um, this time around, I did it for me. I didn't do it for my kids, although they, they wanted me to get clean. I didn't do it for my husband. Um, I did it for myself because um, I've learned in the rooms that everything has to begin with me. Mm. Um, I cannot do it for anybody else but for myself. And everything else will just automatically follow as long as you stay on this road. Because remember, we are we on a journey. It's not a race. We are all walking this road together. And we are all there to help each other. Sure, yeah. Um, it's 28 after uh, 10 o'clock. I'm going to get to uh, your calls after the headlines on 011-883-0702. But we'll start with some voice notes now. Hi Clement Anonymous here from El Dorado Park I'm currently Going for 8 years uh, Sober um, I just want to encourage Everyone that's listening to the program Who's an addict That uh, you were never born smoking Drugs So it is possible to quit drugs um, I was also heavily addicted On crystal meth Mandrax um, marijuana and alcohol but luckily I made my mind up because there's nothing better than a made up mind thanks Clement, love your show hi Clement hi Clement uh, the question you just asked your guests about when was the turning point I was addicted to alcohol I hadn't got into drugs somehow I knew my limit and I knew that I just do alcohol because if if um alcohol then it means that drugs are just gonna destroy me. Right. So the turning point for me with alcohol I've been I think I left alcohol twenty seventeen, so I think it's it's what now? Seven years. Yeah, seven years sober. I don't even think about alcohol, I don't even desire to drink, I don't do anything. The turning point for me, I was laying in bed one day one night, sorry, um, and I just had an internal conversation with myself and I said, it's either you continue drinking or you die. So since then, I have never, ever, ever drank alcohol. Hmm. It takes us to exactly 10.30. Time for the latest in eyewitness news headlines. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with... Tsepo, Njabulo and Didi who are recovering addicts. Across the desk with Clement Maniatela on 702. It's 25 minutes before 11 o'clock on Across the Desk this morning. I'm hosting Recovering Addicts. We've been talking about their journey, uh, their turning point. We've got Tsepo Siopa and Njabulo Mkwanazi and Didi Jones uh, in studio with us. But I've got your WhatsApps 
are coming through as well on 072-702-1702. Hey, good morning, Clement. Clement, to your team and to your guests. So I have a few questions, Clement. Uh, question number one is, is there such thing as a functional addict? Question number two is um, the mood swings that the, the, the addiction takes you to. How are they, they were able to, to, to deal with the mood swings? Because I understand um, using narcotics also makes you violent. So how, how did they handle those and a last one, uh, Clement, is do they have triggers and how do they deal with those triggers? Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for your WhatsApps. I'll get them to respond to that in a moment. Uh, Taboho, you are calling from Senton. Hi. Hello. Hi, Clement. Hi, Taboho. Go ahead, hi, man. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Clement, my story is very personal, and this is a very personal matter to me. Mm. And um, and the reason I'm calling, I'm not crying as a victim. I've got two of my boys. My first born son, he's 25. My second born son, coming from the same room, he's 24. A brilliant football player. He's been to Poland and back for football. But mm. unfortunately, we've got a genocide in this country. And, and I want to encourage the, the parents uh, who are going through this mess. And I call it a mess because of we're not dealing with this thing. You know, we, call, we talk about GPV uh, as a genocide. This is another genocide that government ought to be dealing with. I mean, German, you've got people selling drugs in communities and those communities know who's selling drugs. And this thing is so, it's so devastating, uh, devastating. I call it a genocide because it is targeted at our young people who mm. are the future of this country. Mm. Uh, where my boys are, uh, uh, my first and second body, uh, where they are at the rehab, after nine full years, uh, there's over 200 young men in the same facility, no government support. So uh, and it's a gentleman who, out of his big heart, started this to help our kids. It's difficult to live mm. with children who are addicted to drugs. Christian Meth is a killer. Yeah, thanks man for, for calling and I, I wish uh, your two boys the best in their recovery journey. Mark, you are in Johannesburg. Good morning. Good morning, Clement. Good morning to your guests and the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Clement, I, I'm, I'm what I, I like to think of myself as an addiction activist. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had 25 years of alcohol addiction mixed with various other kind of social type drugs um, and I have been sober for the last 12 years and um, in my sobriety I've done a huge amount of research into addiction and what causes it what what the um, solutions are etc etc and I'm saying there's a bit of an, a maverick in the in the world of, of recovery because I don't believe that um, believe that people, that that AA, for example, does provide all the answers as they. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the twelve step programs, I think, missed the point in terms of reality in today's in today's age. The um, you know the the. The basic principles of AA were written 
down by the two by the founder Bill Wilson in Ooh, Buck, I'm sorry, man. I will have to cut this here. Um, the line is not the best. Uh, I was hoping it's going to recover as, as we go along, but but it's not the best. Let me quickly take Larry, and then I'll get my guests to respond to the questions that I've been asked. Larry, you are in Johannesburg. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you, Clement? I'm all right. How are you? Not not too bad, man. Mm-hmm. Listen, I've got a question for you for your guest out there. I'm, I know that what addiction is, and I understand how it works. To an extent, I've never been an addict. Mm-hmm. However, my brother, who was 45 years old, he was on substance for about 20 years. And I understand that each individual the drug works differently on everybody, right? Mm. So I want to know, what does your guest think? What is addiction? Because in some cases, doctors and people, professionals say that addiction is an illness. Some people say addiction is a disease. Some people say it's just people that's just, they, they do whatever they want to and they should grow up on the mm. one hand. Mm. So now, now, if addiction is an illness, when you are addicted for 20 years, some people can go off it on just the next day. They just stop it because that they're strong enough to do that. And for many others, they are not strong. So they need the support from others to help them. Mm-hmm. So now, I'm going to make it very short. So my brother was on substance for 20 years and in his last two years, he he was battling because of family issues. The point that I'm getting at is, is that he was so bad that he was diagnosed as a, what do they call that? Um, psychotic. He mm-hmm. was a drug-induced psychotic and he would go around doing certain things um never demolishing people's things, but he would just act out like someone is chasing him, right? Mm, mm. And he he was involuntarily admitted to a hospital on two occasions. And on the second occasion, the doctor let him out after the 72-hour observation. And I said to the doctor, listen, you guys cannot let this man out because he's not well. The doctor's response to me was, it is my professional opinion that your brother is clear, he's compass mentis, he needs to go, he just needs to stop using. He knows now that he's clean, mm. he knows now. And I said to the doctor, doctor, this man is going to commit suicide. He had several attempts. And at the end of the day, it's not their problem. So on the one hand, they said it's an illness. But mm. they refuse to treat him longer than 72 hours. Mm, sure, yeah, Larry. In Johannesburg, thanks for for calling, man, and for sharing that story with us. And, and I'll get the guests to respond. Jabulo, there was someone who was asking about whether there's something as a functional addict. Uh, there's no such no. thing as a functional addict. Uh, addiction, it, it, it has drawing powers. Mm. So when you're addicted, at times you can... Think in your head that you're functional. Mm. I can still wake up, go to work. I can still do my daily duties. But it's busy swallowing you in deeper and deeper. Because it gets, it gives you a, a, a mindset that you are in charge for that time. 
mm. until it takes over you because entirely the drug is in charge mm. so just a quick one uh, there's no such as a functional mm. addict okay uh, someone was asking about mood swings uh Tepo, did you struggle with those mood swings during the addiction yeah it was it was um most of the times you'd be angry for no reason but mostly we know that we we suffering from something that's within so we we would um take out the anger on someone else while we know that the, the exact person that we are angry at is ourselves so yes i did suffer with the most mood things as well, as well. That why, that's why i would isolate myself from, mm. from my family that's why i would want to lock myself up in in in, in my room and but while in the midst of that you'd still be using so for me, yeah, yeah, I was, mm. was struggling with the most mood things. Yeah, and Didi, uh, there was a question also about triggers. Uh, do you have triggers now, even in your recovery journey? So, um, I don't have triggers anymore. Um, the reason why is, well, the first year of my journey, I, I battled a lot because I knew that once my time was up um, at the center, I was going to go back to my playgrounds and my playground is my trigger. So um, I had to stay away from the three P's, which is people, places and playthings. Um, those were my triggers. Um, but over the last four years, I've managed to control it and I know now how to deal with them. So mm. I, I currently don't have any more triggers. Mm. How do you guys deal with relapses? Have you ever relapsed and how many times have you relapsed? And how do you, when you're on a recovery journey, deal with the potential to relapse? Because you're like, yes, I'm three years sober or six months sober, but oh, could I relapse again? So, uh, a relapse, uh, me personally, I relapsed twice mm. before being sober. Uh, I went to the same rehab institution twice mm. in Campton Park. To be honest with you, a relapse is pre-planned. A relapse. If I'm in a journey of recovery, mm. I know if I'm going to stay sober or I'm going to relapse. Mm. If I'm going to relapse, it means that I'm not ready yet to mm. be sober. Mm. So that's why I say it's pre-planned. Because now we're working with thoughts, we're working with the mindset. So people, you, you just asked Didi about triggers. Triggers come from our subconscious. Where you see certain things that you've done over and over again mm. it's either you smell weed it's either you see a bag of cats or you see a, a pipe of crystal meth and it's going to trigger something mm. so for a person who's in recovery and to them to indulge in those negative thoughts already they are preparing themselves for a relapse mm. that's why in institutes we are taught how to deal with these negative thoughts because at itemba the guys there are taught how to kill a negative thought within five seconds. Because after five seconds, you are already too late. You might see the drug today and keep quiet. And it can wait for you after five years. Then you relapse. Mm. But mentally, you relapsed in 2024. And physically, you're going to show it after five years. Mm. So it's, it's tricky in that way. Yeah. How, did you relapse ever before? Um, I only relapsed with alcohol. Yeah. Yes. But um, when you get into an institution, you, 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 you get introduced to a program. Obviously, you'll be given certain principles that you need to follow in your recovery. 
Firstly, um, one is told that they need to attend meetings regularly. They need to have a sponsor, which is someone who's going to guide them on their recovery. Mm -hmm. So the minute a thought comes on using, I know that there's a principle that requires me to take my phone and reach out to my sponsor and tell him exactly how I feel. Mm -hmm. And based Mm -hmm. on his experience and longer years of being clean, he would have a suggestion for that and he'll tell me exactly what to do. So I would say that relapse comes from not applying anything that you've been told from the program not doing what you're supposed to do and i think that's the only way how the relapse can creep in Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. have you ever i have yes i relapsed twice um and um i went back to rehab and the reason why i relapsed is because um at the other two facilities i was at um i wasn't taught about aftercare i wasn't taught about um making meetings as soon as i get out of the facility and i need to make 90 meetings in 90 days um i needed to get a sponsor um they didn't tell me that i i i needed to do this on a daily basis because this is a journey it's a just for today program i need to practice it each and every day um none of us well each and every person who is an addict or an alcoholic we are not exempt from from having a relapse it can happen to anybody at any time mm. but if you if you follow this program and you arrest your your disease because somebody spoke earlier on about a disease and an illness it's not an illness it's a disease that we have which we can arrest on a daily basis because we love a just for today program so this morning when i got up i said just for today i decide i'm not going to use and tomorrow i'll say the same thing because um, I cannot hang today's washing in yesterday's sun. And I cannot think mm-hmm. about tomorrow. I have, to, I have to focus on the year and the now, on the present. So just for today, I will not use, and that's my decision for today. And then tomorrow I'll say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So relapse for me, um, I, I know in my heart that, that I won't have another relapse because I know that I don't have another recovery in me. Mm. Yeah. What, what kind of changes have you ever had to make in your lives when you made the decision, I can't do this anymore? Because what's the point of saying I'm walking away from drugs, but you still keep the same friends and they yeah. drink drugs in front of you? How do you manage those relationships? You know, for me, it started from when I was going to the institute I went to. So I went to a Muslim institute in Durban. Mm. I stayed there for one year six, one year six months mm. to one year eight months. Mm. And it kind of took out the system because a lot of people, there are certain centers here in, in Gauteng, uh, which are rehab facilities, but they are holiday resorts or destinations mm. where a person, it's going to be easy for them to relapse going back thinking guti uh if I, I relapse i still go back to that vacation mm. but the place i went to uh that place you had for you to go to the toilet you had to take a 20 liter bucket and go fill it up in, in the jojo tank then walk with it fill up a drum go inside the toilet take a five liter drum come pick up water again for you to be able to flush mm. they killed off the flushing systems mm. same thing with the shower you used to take a jug for showering the, the, you understand so mm. it was a, a, a complete island because the only time i could tell what time it is was when a taxi would pass and that would be eight o'clock and when it comes back it means it's four it's four o'clock mm. only one car passes there mm. so me making a change when coming back 
it was very easy because I've been isolated for a lot of things that I saw were not working for me for a very long time. I used with my uncles. The only time, even if we have a traditional ceremony at home, the only time we meet up with the uncles is sure, sure. Mm. No two minutes conversations, no nothing. Mm. Until I'm grateful today, my uncles are sober. Mm. They're in the program. Great. Because I had to instill tough love because wherever I'm coming from, I also got a lot of tough love. Mm. I mean, I was in a bus on my birthday, going to rehab on my birthday. My parents bought me cake. I didn't even want the cake. As I was sitting in the bus, I'm like, really on my birthday, I'm leaving and I'm going to rehab. Mm. But those were sacrifices I made for myself mm. and the people I've heard. So I can't come back and also make people who never added any value in mm. my life happy. Happiness is contagious. It has to start with you. Mm. So whatever we're trying to do right now, it's, I need to be happy first for Tepo to be able to be happy with me. Because if I'm trying to make Tepo happy mm. and I'm not happy, Whatever I'm doing is not going to have any essence. Yeah. Clement Chabu here. Could it be that we have people who have a disposition for, for drugs? No matter what they do to resist the craving, these people have or are, are dispositioned towards drugs. Hi, Clement. Um... And hello to your guests. I would like to ask them, how was counseling sessions effective for them in their journey to recovery? Thank you. Good morning, Clement. This is Ella. Thank you for your guest that can take us through this painful journey of theirs. And I think each one of us have got families that is also addicted. The sad fact of the matter is the drug dealers. Their children end up in good schools. They drive the nicest car. They've got beautiful homes. And our children get poorer, uglier, sick, end up in jail, in hospital, and death. And that is my problem with society, that we enhance the dealers. Uh, hi, Clement and your guests. Um, as a recovering addict myself, I think the one thing that I've, I've seen to be common with all of us is exactly what I learned at the clinic where I, I first found help. Um, it's called the Foundation Clinic here in Santon. So um, the one thing that's common is we all have uh, unresolved issues of past guilt, shame and trauma. And all of our addiction stems from there, and we are all trying to heal at least one of those things. Uh, I just think that's also important to mention. Thank you. Morning, Clement. Uh, I think drugs differ, but with cocaine, cocaine needs you in a dark space, in a room. With You have to be quiet. There has to be quietness in there. Cocaine with one pool, you're gone. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for, for your WhatsApp voice note. Uh, someone was asking about counseling sessions. How effective were they? Um, counseling were very effective, but firstly, before anything else, mm -hmm. um, I think I would recommend honesty because it's easy for someone to get into counseling and lie to the counselor. So instead of getting into counseling and 
or, or, or I've seen this many times in the guys in an institution. Mm. What we do is that we, we get to get in a facility and we talk about the, the only the, the how nice the drugs were, how how gangster we used to be, how how, how many crooks we know, how many guns guns we used to carry, but no one actually talks about the day they slept outside. Or no one talks about the the fact that we've put on a pair of socks for three weeks maybe mm. and how smelling they were. Mm. So counseling is very crucial, but in order for counseling to work, one needs to be honest honest and, and be ready to open up so that we uh, counseling can be mm. effective. Because we can't counsel someone now and, and, and talk about something that's not being mentioned. We can't get in counseling and maybe focus on something that is, is a lie maybe. So... Counseling is effective, but I strongly recommend honesty. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, what advice do you guys have? I'll start with you, Didi, for recovering addicts and maybe for family members of loved ones who are addicted and perhaps are, are refusing help and they just feel so helpless. Okay, so um, I will speak for, my, for myself, and this is just in my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to firstly say that the easy help out there if anybody is addicted to substance or alcohol, um, whether it is medication, uh, drug, um, street drugs, it doesn't matter. There's help out there. Um, the facility I was in was an amazing facility. Um, the reason why I say this is at the other two facilities I was at, mm -hmm. um, I had... And we spoke about counseling now. Um, I had psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers come in and counsel me, and it didn't help me. And our program says, and, and in our literature, it says that one addict can best and help and understand the next addict. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Breaking the Chains, um, we, we don't have psychologists. We don't have psychiatrists. But we have a room full of addicts. The most experienced one is the one who, who, who owns our facility. His name mm -hmm. is Manny. Mm -hmm. Um, he's going to be 22 years sober this year. And um, he spoke about honesty. The honesty comes in mm. when we're on the same page, when we can relate Relatable. to each other. Yes. Mm. So there's help out there. For the families, um, just one last thing, mm. for the families, our, so we have a family support group where um, there's a whole lot of mothers and fathers and uncles. Everybody who has a family member who's addicted, we have that support group mm. and they help each other also get through the mm. pain. Seppo, your advice quickly? Um, for me, I would, I would say to, 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 to a person who's in active addiction right now to, to surrender, man, to surrender because yeah. we go on for the longest time thinking and hoping that we can control the drug somehow and it ends up controlling us. So I would advise someone right now to pick up the phone, make that call, man, reach out and open up so that you can get help before it gets too late. Mm -hmm. yeah. On my side, it's firstly, drugs are the devil's revenge upon God's servants. Mm -hmm. That's D-R-U-G-S. Our society has a stereotype of labeling and being fearful about coming out. Mm. and accepting that we have a problem. Mm. I, I'm saying this because it starts deep from our parents to our grandparents, where they try to hide this addiction of ours, and that doesn't help. So my advice is that as a parent, as a neighbor, as a community member, don't be shy. The more you speak out is the more you assist. Mm. Because the more you keep it in, it's the more you destroy. 
because tomorrow it's going to come back to you. Mm. So let's be open. Let's educate ourselves about this pandemic because this is one of the biggest pandemic after COVID-19 and it's going to continue for a very long time mm. if we don't come together. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for making time for us. This has been such a, an important conversation. Thank you for sharing your journey and thanks for your bravery and, and starting your own journey to recovery. There are a few people that have requested your contact. Um, we'll facilitate that um, behind the scenes. The producers uh, will forward your contacts to them.